Hello and welcome to the second edition of the People Behind the Tech podcast, which is brought to you by SBJ Tech and the Leaders Performance Institute. My name is John Porch. I'm the editor at the Leaders Performance Institute. And once again, I'm joined by my co-host, Joe Lemire, senior writer at SBJ Tech. Joe, you've made it back for round two. I'm honored and a little bit chuffed. How's it going? (laughs) Good. You haven't scared me off yet. (laughs) Not yet. But anyway, last time, Joe and I spoke to Brandon McDaniel of the LA Dodgers. And we recommend you go back and check that out after you've listened to today's guest who is the performance coach Daniel Guzman, the head of enterprise sales at the Seattle-based startup 3x4 Genetics. It's a role he took up about four months ago, having spent several years in US soccer, most recently at LAFC, and a couple of years at Exos before that. He is also the founder and CEO of Guzman Performance. I hope that covers some of the most pertinent points. Daniel, welcome to the show. How are you doing? You're our second guest now. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. Really excited about the chat. It's great to have you on. And Right. Why don't we get into it? Joe, why don't you lead the way? So what we want to learn about you, about some of the the tools that you use to do your job. And I think a good way to get things started is in your own personal fitness and day-to-day life, what tech do you use? What I love to do is to help people. And so that manifests itself in strength conditioning. That could have been at a coffee shop, at a sandwich shop. I probably could have done some other jobs, but Strength conditioning is probably where I combine my passion with my talents. But as far as the tech that I use on a daily basis, I love the Aura Ring. I've been using it for just about two years now. And I think it gives me really insightful data about how I sleep. And especially as a young dad with three little kids, I know my sleep's not going to be great, but I've learned that there's things that I can do to affect my REM sleep and my deep sleep when I'm eating late at night and how that affects everything from uh, my total sleep output. So the Aura Ring is huge for me. And then recently, I've been using a Garmin fitness tracker, one of the Garmin watches. I just think the heart rate data is pretty reliable. And it's been good feedback for me to periodize my own training when I should push, maybe when I should hold back a bit. And I would say those are the two main pieces of tech I'm using right now, personally. I also have been using the Aura Ring for, for sleep and also have young kids. And my, my favorite part about it is when it, it yells at me for falling asleep too quickly. Uh, apparently, it's, it's possible <laughs> not to have enough latency, but I'm just yes, too exhausted yes. at the end of the day. Why did you get into this field? Was, were you someone who played sports and then kind of got into the academics and studies? Was there a different path? Yeah, no, thanks for asking that question. So I grew up playing all sports. My parents were really big on the multi-sport approach. But really what they wanted to do was keep me out of trouble. And so they said, if you're in enough team sports, you just don't have time to get into trouble, which was probably pretty true. And so growing up, uh, soccer was definitely one of my main sports. I played basketball, baseball, didn't play football until high school. But then American football ended up becoming more of a priority for me in my high school years. And then as I finished, I was like, you know what? American football practice is not very fun. I'm getting chewed out on a daily basis. And practice can be four to six hours plus film. And although I was, I was all right, uh, you know, starting receiver for the team, I just figured in college, I wanted to continue my athletic career, but soccer was probably where I'd rather get chewed out there (laughs) and enjoy the game a little bit more. So that was my, my sporting career there. I did some track and field as well, which I don't want to think too much about because the four by 400 relay still gives me nightmares, although it was one of my best events. So it's pretty good there. But when I was in college, I was trying to find a way of how can I bring the most value to people and how can I be challenged on a daily basis? That was my, my biggest guiding director. Although I knew nothing that I wanted to do, I knew that I had to be challenged to stay engaged. 
And I had a uh, professor who also owned a local gym. And he said, why did you try my strength conditioning class? And what I learned from him was that you could actually make people faster. You could get them stronger and they could feel better. When previously, my only knowledge about the weight room was that it made you look good. If you worked out hard enough, you could look pretty good. And although that was a good goal for a long time of mine, I thought this is really cool if you can actually make someone faster. Because what I've been told my whole life is that you can't teach speed. And once I learned that you could teach speed, and I saw some changes in not just athletes, but just some normal adults that were looking to improve their own fitness, I thought this is actually really cool. And if you get really good at this, this could be a differentiator because I never had this growing up. I was just a fast kid. And they said, oh, you know, that's just your genetics. You got lucky, which might be partly true. But that's how I got into it. And then from there, the final part of that story, or what I'd say led me to the beginning of my career was uh, my now wife, girlfriend at the time had said, I know how your brain thinks you need to find the best internship in the world to go to. And that was basically between athletes performance, which is now Exos or Mike Boyle strength conditioning. And I also looked at Eric Cressy has a place and I thought, okay, those are some people and some organizations I really respect. And it just worked out that athletes performance in LA was my starting spot. And that's kind of the beginning of my strength conditioning career. Mm-hmm. And how did you get into the, the team setting at LAFC? Yeah. So it actually started back with the LA Galaxy. When I was working at Exos, I was just an intern, but I was all over the place. I'd show up 6 a.m., leave at 8 p.m., just gave everything I could. And so the LA Galaxy started a second division team, their reserve team. And I remember being kind of in our office and the boss was saying, Hey, here's the project we have. Who wants to do it? And I was like, Oh, I'll do it. And all the other coaches were like, no, I don't want to. They wanted to work in the NBA or the NFL, that kind of stuff. And I was like, I'll go do it for free. I can do this. And so he was like, okay, go ahead. So I, I worked with the LA galaxy too, for three months. Um, it ended up being slightly part-time paid at, at one point, but I just loved it. Connected with a coach, gave everything I had to the players. And the head strength conditioning coach for the first team of LA galaxy ended up leaving midway through the season to which again, I said, Hey, I'd like to put my name in the hat to which they told me, you know what? Uh, we appreciate the enthusiasm, but you don't have enough experience and you're not the right fit to which I pushed back a bit. But at the end of the day, I said, okay, I'm not the right fit, I guess. But what happened was the head coach, Kurt Anolfo from the LA galaxy Two went to Bruce arena and said, when nobody else wanted this job, he's the one that showed up. And he's done a great job. And although he has a lot to learn, that's the guy you want. And I, I learned about this later once I already had the job, but basically it was a simple interview with Bruce and it was no nonsense, you know, got into the job, worked hard. And that was kind of the start of my career, which it's also nice when you win a championship to start your career, although the bar is set pretty high, but that was my start with the LA galaxy for three years before I went to the U S men's national team in 2017. Along the way, and I know this probably started with, I mean, even in the, in the, in the college setting and, and Exo certainly has a reputation for some um, advanced tools. How, wh- which ones did you find, you know, every coach has his own, his or her own sort of favorites and kind of the, the things that work the best. And obviously the, the field keeps changing, but how do you see the, the use of technology? You know, what are some of the, the go-to tools? I thought Exos was very clean and clear about what they did. And so I got to do a small stint with the NFL combine prep, which as we know, was around a lot of data and objective measures for how these college athletes are progressing or how they can kind of showcase themselves at the NFL combine, or maybe it's a pro day. And 
when I was working with them as an intern, I remember, of course, uh, the speed timing gates was huge. And so uh, I know that there was different systems we used, but they wanted to make sure they got accurate laser times. I still use a hand time in between that. And part of that I remember was because of the psychology, the speed gates were, uh, you know, it was telling the athletes, this is a really important day. This is going to be how it is at the NFL combine without as much people. And the hand timers was a little bit, you know, we, we want to record you, want to see where you're at, but it gave the athletes a little bit sense of ease. So the speed gates were a big one. And then at the time, because, well, the, the, the vertical jump test is still a vertex. That's what we use there, which I don't know if I'd call that technology, but it's a very useful utility. But that was kind of around the NFL combine prep. When I was started with LA Galaxy and as I worked my through soccer, GPS has only grown to this day. So back then I was using the Adidas, my coach, and it was this huge, gigantic box that I had to bring up on wheels. And if you've ever been to the galaxy stadium, it's, it's almost a mile walk from the locker room up to the field. And so I'm lugging this thing every day. And that's going to be, you know, my story when I'm a grandpa to my kids and saying, I used to carry this GPS box and now it's just these little, <laughs> you know, this little thing. So the, the GPS was a big one and we didn't really start utilizing heart rate until uh, my second or third year. But I would say those two pieces of on-field equipment was really valuable. And then once we started wanting to look at some sort of readiness stuff and HRV, we started using the Omega Wave. This was before Aura Ring was around. And that was a little bit more of a complex setup, I would say, where the athletes had to be really calm, laying flat on the ground. We had to hook up these electrodes to them, and they had to sit there for about 10 minutes. Not everyone can sit still for 10 minutes after they've had a coffee and drove through LA traffic. But it was a good, it was a good starting point for us to try and get readiness. And I was like, why is everyone's readiness always so bad? And they're like, well, I'm driving on the 405 for about 25 minutes and that'll <laughs> set anybody off. But I would say those are some pieces of tech that were pretty valuable. And I know they still are used some places, but the GPS and heart rate obviously is probably the gold standard, or at least I would say very consistent around most teams. And from the data you collect, I imagine trying to, to match what happens in a game versus training just to replicate those settings, you know, to create practice plans, return to play protocols. Are those the, the key uses? Yeah. So it was, it was actually really fascinating. And I'll just be honest. When I first started with the GPS, I had no idea what I was doing. They just said, here's the GPS. We collect it on a day-to-day -day basis and we look at it on that day. And I was, I was always thinking, well, you know, we're looking on a day-to-day, -day, but what's the bigger picture? And I wasn't really sure what that was. And I actually had a coworker, Alex Sava, who came from Tottenham, and he helped to shape that a little bit more about, here's how we look at a season-long view, here's how we look at a month-to-month -month view. And that was pretty helpful. And to keep it as simple as possible, in anything we do, if we're just a, a weekend warrior and we want to play, pick up basketball, baseball, softball, whatever it might be, right? Or we're just going to go for a run, we have an end goal. And if you start with that end goal in mind, and work your way backwards, that's actually easier to program than just looking at a day to day and seeing where did I end up this week? And so when it comes to pro soccer players, what we do is we see what are the demands of a game for you, for you on average. So we'll look at your position in our sport and soccer. If you're playing out wide, typically you're going to have more high speed running, which that leads in the whole conversation about hamstrings and how that's the most injured muscle group in the world still to this day. But we look at the end game and we say, okay, we have to prepare you for around 11 and a half kilometers. And maybe it's, you know, 1200 meters of high speed running in total. And then throughout the week, we say, where are moments where we want to push the distance, the high speed, 
get exposure to acceleration, deceleration. And then everyone in the world has their own methodology. Some say, you know, you got to do some training and then some non-football, non-soccer fitness, right? Just pure running or certain shuttle drills, whatever it is. Some coaches say, you know, we want to get it all in the training session because that's what's going to be the most realistic to what they're going to see on the weekend. And so as we work with the end goal in mind, we can better program for the athletes. And we have really specific targets. You know, I told you that we look at some athletes positionally, where do they play in the field? And then how do we program back from there? But we also look at them as an individual. So although we might have three left backs, those three left backs might produce different high speed on average in a game. And because of that, we may not be able to train one left back the same as the other one. We have to get a little bit more specific because we know there's a range that they can operate in. But that's kind of the idea of how we're using that. And the heart rate just giving us response to, you know, how much did that session cost, right? So we look at things like time spent in their, in their red zone. We'll look at other specific zones, depending on where the season's at. And do we need to supplement a specific implement, whether that's on the bike or the rower, or maybe it is an actual jog in a specific heart rate zone, but that's giving us another tool to say, what did that session cost? Two guys did five kilometers of running, but it might've cost one guy a whole lot more stress than someone else. And so that's kind of how we're working with it. And were you someone who weighed on the side of getting everything in the training session, or did you you personally prefer the mix with non-football or soccer? In the beginning, I would have given you an answer, you know, as the start of my career, here's how I want to do it. And what I've learned is that that doesn't matter so much. What matters more is who's the head coach that I'm working with and what is his style? Because my job is actually to support him. And so if he wants it all in the training session, then I have to think, okay, what is your style of play? How can I have conversations about the training that you want to have set up? And so then I might say, hey, if you're going to play this way, if we set up these dimensions or if we go for this amount of time or we have this much rest, that can influence numbers that I want, but I know it's going to prepare the athletes, but it still achieves the goal that you want of all of it in training. Some coaches, you know, they might just say, you know what, we're going to do this. You tell me what it is. And if we need to top up at the end, then we can add on extra fitness and you have a drill ready, which also works. So I just found that to be a lot more useful. I think it takes away my own ego and bias of here's the stuff that I really want to do. It's more about what's best for the team on that season. And that can change from season to season. And typically that's better because then the coach feels like I'm on his side. It's not my agenda versus his. It's just, no, what is your agenda and how can we support that? And I know LAFC has a, a bit of a reputation of being, at least within MLS, being very innovative. Uh, I know there was like a partnership with Uplift Labs trying to get in biomechanics. I know Second Spectrum that does the, the league-wide tracking data has been introducing the, the skeletal and limb tracking. It seems like uh, there's this new frontier of maybe getting more biomechanics in soccer. Is Was that an area that has proved useful? or And if not, what is something else that's pretty cutting edge that you think has a lot of value? Yeah. So real quick, I'll speak to the biomechanics. Just something that <clears throat> we found practical that the athletes would give effort to was using force plates by having them jump on the force plates. If you're not familiar with that, they just like like these little square plates on the ground or rectangles. And you just basically do a few jumps on them, or there might be a certain protocol we want you to do. And based off that, we're just looking at um, force and time. And we're making a bunch of different decisions off that could be readiness. Although it, when you look at readiness on force plates, it might be a little bit too sensitive, but we want to look at how much force you can you produce. And then we're looking at different phases of that jump. And based off that, that might help program what we want to do with the weight room or something we're going to do on the field. So we can say, okay, here's what this profile is telling us about you as an athlete. And here's how we can best support you. So I think that was really important. And then 
what I'm doing now, I think is kind of leading into that. The reason why I took a step back from the team side is actually genetics. I, I really believe that genetics is the future of sport. And in five to 10 years, every team is going to start to hire this performance geneticist position because it's going to be super valuable or they're going to integrate genetics into their practice because it's going to be the standard. Perfect segue. Uh, you're doing uh, my job for me. <laughs> How did you get into this this new gig? Um, was something was genetics something that was kind of in the back burner that you thought might have some value? Or was it just sitting down with the, your new CEO and, and learning about it? How did you make that transition? So uh, I think it's actually a really interesting story. So I left LAFC in November of 2021 because I was going to have a third child the next year. Uh, they, they weren't able to hire someone in time. They said, well, you come back. And I said, okay, that's a great sign that I, I was leaving on a good note because they asked me to come back. I come back for a few months. And while I'm working there um, now as a consultant, I have a friend of mine text me and it's, it's 3.45 in the afternoon. I'm at home in my office. And he says, somebody really important is going to call you, somebody I trust in the next two minutes. Answer the phone and talk to them for as long as they want to talk. I don't care if they want to talk for 12 hours. You talk to them for 12 hours. And I trust this person. So I said, okay, whatever it takes. Text my wife and I say, I may not make it to dinner tonight. You know, but it could be a while. And so I talked to um, the VC CEO. He's the lead chairman, Tony Sue, who now, yeah, it's my CEO and uh, a good friend. And he basically just asked me questions about what I do, my experience. Have I ever thought about genetics? What do I think? And typically, my answers were just like, yeah, we think about genetics, but we just think that person's genetically gifted. Or maybe their genetics may not be supporting them as much, but you know, we don't really look into that because we have other things that we do. And so I was trying to uh, understand you know, what his end game was. And if he just wanted to have a conversation, I said, okay, this is, this is pretty interesting. He texts me. We talked for about three hours. He texts me that night and says, you know, you were really well-spoken on the phone. I feel like you had a lot of confidence and you were humble. Do you want to meet me tomorrow for a smoothie or something? I'm going to be in town. So the short story of this is that we end up having all these conversations over the next few months. And I get to know that he has this company 3x4 Genetics that does DNA testing, but that they've seen a gap in the market. And now what I'm a part of is that what they saw was they had their PhD from Harvard, one of their lead geneticists, who's also, uh, she's a multi-time Ironman. She does a bunch of different triathlons. And so she says, I use genetics on a daily basis because I know what my genetics are. And I'm looking at my Garmin watch and I need to find some place to integrate that together. And there was nothing in the world. And so she said, okay, I'm going to go to Tony, our CEO, and say, I have an idea. And I think if I can put this together, it's going to change the future of sports. So she comes up with her team and with Tony and everyone. Here's the, the product for GeneFit. And here's how we are the only company in the world that can take genetics and any wearable tracker. Anything that is a wearable that you can track anything with genetics, we're the only company in the world that can do that. And so that is the journey that we're on now where Fast forward, I'm part of the company now. I've been working for, for four months now. We're basically saying, me as a performance coach, I think I was uh, or am currently still one of the best out there. I think I've done a good job. But the way that I would program, I was very, very efficient. And I was able to be really good at guessing what not to do and what we should do. And I could narrow down, you know, here's probably the three or four paths we should go down with this athlete or with the team. And as I've learned through the value of genetics and how we're, we're combining that with any sort of wearable data, what I'm seeing now is that, and people know this, between John, 
you, Joe, and myself, if we all go run a mile, it's going to affect us differently. And we are going to be able to achieve it differently. We all know that. And the reason why is it's our genetics. It's how we are made up. Our genetics are just a code that says, you know, here's how your genetics express here, whether it's cardiovascular or it's cellular or it's your, your body composition, whatever it might be. And then here's how we need to influence your environment. Environment being how do you train? How do you recover? Uh, what stresses do you have in your life? All that stuff influences our genetics. Although our genetics never change, they can be expressed on or off or kind of like a dimmer switch at any point. And so as I'm looking at that for athletes, I'm thinking, okay, this, this is something different, but there's decades of research behind it. And now that we were bringing the wearables into it, what I would do before is I would basically say that training equals performance. That was my formula. In fact, that's everyone's formula that they operate off of. Training can be anything as far as, okay, what did we do in the session today? What did we lift for weights today? Training could also think like um, action, so recovery. So am I doing an ice bath? Am I drinking a cherry juice? Am I having a protein shake? All that kind of stuff. All that operates on the T side, the training side of the equation. And what we've been missing is half the equation, which is genetics plus training equals performance. And by having your genetics, you have an actual understanding of what is my starting point and what am I doing outside of my genetics, my training, my environment, all that kind of stuff to affect that part of the equation to get to performance. And once I saw that, everything clicked for me because I've been thinking, okay, we do speed tests. We do force play jumps. We do blood tests. All those are still really valuable. You still need to do that. But we're doing those to try and find out who is this human, what makes them who they are. And whenever we add these things, how does that affect them? The aura ring, like we were talking about, if I eat a certain type of meal before bed, that's going to affect my sleep. You know, everyone talks about blue light before bed and you want to stay away from that, that affects your sleep. Those are all things that are influencing our genetics. And so as I saw that, I thought, okay, this is going to change the world. And I am, I am such a believer in growth and challenge that I want to jump on this journey once Tony offered me a position. Because if we can do this right, then in the next three to four years, it's only going to make sport, sport better as far as programming with all my colleagues and coaches. It's going to make myself better as a practitioner. And so why would I not jump on this journey? And so that's kind of, I know I'm, I'm getting into, I'm really passionate about it, but that's kind of my journey and story of how I got to where I am today, four months into 3X4 Genetics, working on the GeneFit project. So I'd love to know a little bit more about the, the customer journey or the, you know, in this case, the athlete journey. Say I'm one of the athletes on a team that you support. You take, do test my DNA. What's the first thing that I learn? It's a two minute cheek swab. You just take a cotton swab that we send you one minute on the inside of each cheek. You put it into a little vial and then that's it. You send it off and then we do the rest. So I think something that's valuable that our founder, Yael Jaffe, that set her apart in the genetics world is there's other organizations that they want to find specific genetic variations. They might find one SNP and that could be something. Uh, I know Chris Hemworth, Hemsworth had this big show, which I, I thought it was really fascinating, but he has the APOE44 um, SNP that you know might be a precursor to Alzheimer's disease or, or some sort of um, brain disease. And he's really trying to go on a journey to make sure that he can do everything he can so that he brings that risk way down, right? So there's some companies that will take one gene and they'll say, okay, this gene says this, so we have to supplement with this. We have to change this environment. And what Dr. Jaffe did is she said, I don't believe that's how genetics work. I think genetics work in a holistic way. 
where we have these pathways. And so we look at recovery. Instead of looking at one gene for recovery, we look at all the genes that affect recovery, right? Instead of looking at one gene for injury, we say, okay, well, if your collagen formation is this way, there's a bunch of other genes that are in the, you know, the injury bucket. And so how do all those influence? And not only is it easier for the end consumer to understand, instead of just looking at these, you know, ACEDD on this part of the genome, you know, whatever it might be, it's a lot simpler for them to understand, but it's also, she had better results doing this. And so a lot other geneticists and um, nutrigeneticists started to jump on that with her. So that's what sets us apart as far as our, our methodology. But you said the first thing you see, you do your DNA test, you send it into the lab. In about several weeks, you'll get um, a response back that your, your readout, your blueprint is what we call it, is ready. And so you will get assigned to a practitioner that is in your area. Or there might be a practitioner that we set you up with, and that practitioner is 3x4 certified. They're typically dietitians or sports nutritionists or um, some sort of nutrigeneticist. And we have this blueprint that is 30 plus pages long that goes through everything that our DNA test tested that tells you about who you are. And so there's 36 pathways, and it looks at um, all these different things from your cellular system to your body composition, your, your fat makeup. Um, the activity overview is one that first caught me because of the activity overview is looking at genes that affect injury, strength, endurance, power, and recovery. And when I saw that, I said, okay, you know, remember we talked in the beginning about, oh, you're just, you know, genetically gifted with speed. Well, we can see, you know, there's a lot of variations that speak to your predisposition to power, right? And I thought, oh, that's interesting because it doesn't just tell you, okay, here's how you're stuck forever, right? You're, you're not going to be very powerful or you're going to be super powerful. That's not how it works. Of course, some people are going to be more, I guess would say genetically gifted if you want to use that term, but your environment can influence it. But by knowing where I'm starting with my power, now I can go to a strength conditioning coach or a speed coach and say, what do we need to do in a training environment to best influence this so that I can get to my end goal of being a hundred meter sprinter? Or whatever it might be, but it looks at all that kind of stuff, you know, um, brain chemistry, the list just goes on and on, but basically you get that and you have your consultation with your, with your, um, practitioner and they, they talk you through and they say, okay, Joe, what is really important to you? And you might say, well, you know, I'm a dad. And so sleep is really important to me and I don't get great sleep. How can I maximize that? And although they know having kids, you know, you might have erratic sleep every night. They might say, well, sleep is one thing, but total recovery is going to be important. So how can we influence the things that will influence sleep or recovery? And then they'll look through and say, also within your genetics, here's some big things we should focus on. And so I think that is, that is really powerful. So right now um, I work on the gene fit project, which is to take um, the gene fit software to professional organizations around the world. But John and Joe, you guys could go on three X four genetics.com right now. You could buy a test um, which would get shipped to you and you could do your test yourself and then um, find a uh, practitioner in your area. So the 3x4 blueprint is still available to anyone. And I, I would recommend to, I mean, I have to all my family members, all my friends, everyone's getting on it. Cause I just think, you know, it, it's, it's so valuable to have and, and people walk through life with different ailments or issues or goals. And so we're trying to find out, should I have a plant-based diet? Should I eat more meat? what should I do? And it's like, well, why don't we just start the conversation with what is your, like, who are you as a person genetically? What do your genetics say about who you are? And then how can we start from there? So I think that was just fascinating for me. 
that gives you an idea of like, say you're predisposed for certain types of injuries. So you can do the, you know, the prehab type of protocols to help prevent that things like that. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, unfortunately for me, I've, I've got some genes that are more predisposed to injury, but the valuable thing is that as a strength coach, I know, okay, well, what is going to help my environment? It's strength training, good plyometrics, and then having consistent training load. You know, which you would say, yeah, everybody wants that. But for me, it's extra important because if I just say, you know, I haven't trained in two weeks and I just go for this massive run or I just start lifting, that's that's not in a really good progression that might put my muscles at a higher risk of injury than I want to be at. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of the integrations with wearables, I mean, this is something that's particularly unique to, to your company is this sort of back and forth, um, you know, how, how does that sort of play out like you know when you input some of the wearable data you know what are you what am i going to learn what kind of recommendations will i receive yeah i would say if you're on the enterprise side you know if, if you are with a pro team then you're going to see recommendations uh number one from the nutrition side so a really cool one is actually caffeine and although people know this i can have caffeine right before bed and still fall asleep and other people are like no way i'll be up all night there's genetic variations that speak to your um, I should say how quickly or how slowly you metabolize caffeine. Yep. There you go right there. So some individuals like myself, if I have caffeine, it is hitting me pretty quickly and not just quickly, but it's going to go through me quickly. And I might need to hit a second dose in whatever my training event might be for other people. It's actually the way opposite end where they need to, they need to hit their caffeine a lot earlier. You know, that could be couple hours before, because that's going to hit whenever their competition is going to start. You know, you're going to run a marathon. Don't hit your caffeine 30 minutes before you might be two hours before. And so that's one thing that, um, you know, is practical. It can actually be actionable for you. There's other things in there as far as, you know, salt intake. And, um, for me, because I can speak to myself, I know that I uh, have a lot of inflammation and by eating stuff with a lot of gluten, which is not very good news for me because I love gluten, but that would actually um, increase the inflammation a whole lot more. And I just thought, you know, if, if I want to feel better and not have some of these digestive issues I'm having, yeah, I'll cut out anything. And so I've cut out gluten uh, for four months. And it doesn't mean I never eat gluten, but for the most part, I don't eat gluten or try and eat gluten-free. And I can tell you I feel way better. But the number one thing that uh, was really apparent to me is my sleep improved. And I saw that in my aura ring. And of course, you know, that's taking one variable in this massive complex system, but it is one of the biggest changes I made um, where I was eating, you know, probably bread every morning and then having some sort of bar that had a lot of gluten in the afternoon. And then at night, you know, having a burrito or whatever it might be. And by switching to gluten-free options, uh, my sleep really improved. So just something that was interesting there that I think by having that blueprint, now it was just a weekend warrior that can help influence my training. And I see, okay, if I I went on a three mile run and my Garmin says you push pretty hard, you need 36 hours recovery, whatever. Um, if I know that I am prone to high inflammation, why well, might be taking um, supplements or I might be having um, actual whole foods that are going to help decrease that, right? Maybe I'm, I've been drinking a lot more cherry juice, I'll tell you that much, because that's been something that the practitioners have told me is really valuable. And I actually like it now. It's pretty good. So it's an interesting journey right now. And it's always evolving as you learn more. Yeah, fascinating. John, I feel like I'm I'm hogging Daniel. Why don't you jump in here? Yeah, no worries, Joe. Thank you very much. It's all been good. And Daniel, you've made me very curious to ask you about the work you do within pro sports. You've obviously got that background yourself. 
Now, if a team has undertaken some kind of genetic analysis with you, how do you then work with them to deliver those insights? What does a coach or an athlete need to know? How does the practitioner then translate that for the athlete or the coach or both? The premise of GeneFit is to bring people out of their departments and get everyone on the same page. Because I know from being in pro sports, what happens is you have a medical meeting in the morning and then you might have your sports science meeting because you want to make sure that the loading is on the same page. And then you're going to take that information up to the head coach who's going to go on his whiteboard and he's going to show his depth chart or her depth chart. And they're going to show you, here's where the athletes are at. Here's what we're thinking about training today. And so you're having all these conversations and what's key in pro sport is to be accurate and to be ready to answer questions. You know, so I was working with Bob Bradley. He would say, here's what we want to do today. How much uh, bandwidth do we have to push today? And whether it's myself or our director, he would say, yeah, today's the day to push. Here's kind of the, the metrics we're going for. He was just ready. He was very organized. And I know if we didn't have that, then Bob might have to wait and be like, okay, well, we need to, we need to plan this now because there's a lot of things going. So what GeneFit does is once everyone has done their genetic test, and it's really important that um, everyone has full control over their genetics. So they do have to sign a waiver to release their genetic data. You know, we're not just looking at their genetics unless they say you can look at it. And if they say, you know, they don't want you to, well, then that's okay. You can still get your readouts and all that kind of stuff. But if they give their consent that the team can look at it and using the GeneFit software, then what you'll see is that we are getting very accurate measures of how the wearable they used. So if we're talking about soccer, if they're wearing GPS for the most part, how did that in real time affect them? Okay. Everyone just went and did a session and they ran between four to five and a half K and they had different high speed running accelerations and decelerations. They were wearing a heart rate monitor. We got their internal load. All that information's coming in and without gene fit, we're trying to make decisions off just the data with the genetics. Now with gene fit, we can see, okay, how does that affect each player? And we have our own algorithm to look at very specific tissue scores to see, okay, how did this affect, you know, your muscle or your bone or your connective tissue. And from there we can make really precise decisions. And so um, our AI and our machine learning system is really taken into account the training load, any other wearable you're using, it takes into account previous injury history, because we know that's one of the, the biggest precursors to another injury. And then uh, we have other features that, are more or less a, another coach, a, a prompting coach that'll say, Hey, because of your specific genetics, John, you need to make sure that you have mushrooms tonight. And when you have mushrooms, if you can leave them out in the sun for 30 minutes before you eat them, because that'll change some of the genetic makeup of those mushrooms. And it'll, you know, and it's just it, some of the recommendations you get are just, it's incredible, you know? So you have stuff like that. And by taking all that into account, then we can see, okay, how did the athlete respond to that? And, you know, what is gene fit telling us about that athlete on that day? What's really valuable, I think, is looking at athletes when they're returning from injury, because that's a whole process where you're trying to manage so many different variables coming to the athlete. So if the athlete is in an early stage or a late stage, you know, they might have certain metrics they're hitting. They might have a certain uh, nutritional supplementation they're on. They might have certain tissue work with a therapist, not to mention all the other stuff they have going on with the testing you want to see. But as we're seeing that, we can take into account that previous injury and we can see how these tissue scores are being affected. We can see our scale from zero to 100, 100 being you're just flying and, you know, close to zero, meaning, okay, you probably are underloaded. 
because there's not enough data there to actually see where you're at. But we're seeing all that in real time. And it's just that next step where now as a practitioner, I can make a better decision because I know how my genetics have been influenced that train and how trainings and you know my environment has influenced my genetics. What about the feedback you get from coaches and athletes? How does that influence the way you're doing things? How does it, how does it help you to refine what you're doing? Yeah, I would say uh, one of the important things that um, as we were talking to different teams and some coaches, something that was really interesting is that they said as a coach, and I'm talking about more of a, a technical staff coach now, as a coach, we have certain biases and our, we have our coaching eye, which is incredibly important. Probably one of the most important things, you know, what are they seeing and how do they want to make decisions? But they said, sometimes we can be our own worst enemy because we have our bias of how we've done stuff. And we say, no, no, I think that player can play 70 minutes tonight. And what's been helpful for them is that when they can see, okay, uh, what is Gene Fit telling me about this striker right now? it can challenge them sometimes because they'll say, you know what, it's, they're not quite where you thought they were, or it might say, actually, they are way further ahead than you thought they were. Because instead of us just saying, you know, an athlete's been back from injury and typically this grade two takes this many weeks, everybody recovers differently. Everyone responds differently. You know, injuries are uh, in some ways nonlinear because you can go forward and backward and it just takes time. But to have uh, some objective data to feedback to the coach and say, this is just saying how their genetics has influenced with their, their training load. And here's where they're at in real time. Now they can make a different decision. And for some coaches, they said, you know what, I'm still going to trust my intuition in this moment, but it is a, it is a good um, alert in my head of, okay, maybe I should manage their minutes a little bit less. And for others, they say it actually spurs on good discussions now. So they talk with their staff. Okay. Here's what it's saying. Do we think they're still good for 75 minutes? Maybe they should be better as a reserve this game. And then we bring them on for more or actually they're, they're more than good for 75 minutes. That's from the coaching perspective from the athletes that uh, we've worked with. The coolest thing for them is that they really want to have control over their data. So in a normal setting, you know, they go and play the game. We are giving them their GPS um, loading after the game and saying, Hey, here's what you achieved. They want to just see how much did I run and um, what did I achieve in that day? Of course, the setup of the game is going to influence that, right? Maybe there's a team where they are down a man for 65 minutes. And so that's going to influence the game heavily. And so they want to know, okay, did I push enough? What can I do tomorrow? There's different conversations like that. From the athletes understanding their genetics now, now that they know kind of where they sit in the cell, that makes so much sense. I've always felt like I've recovered super quick. you know. And, and once I'm really fit, I can lift the next day. I can do a little bit of a jog and I can be fine. It kind of gives them more confidence because they know about who they are. Of course, there's some stuff where it might say, okay, you know, I don't recover as quickly. And you would think, dang, that's, that's going to be a negative for me. But the truth is they actually can take ownership of that and say, you know what? I know that after a game, because, you know, I might struggle with some oxidative stress stuff that um, doing a little bit of a bike workout is good for me the next day. But then that off day is actually really important. You know, even if I want to train really hard, maybe I shouldn't be doing it on that day. There's other things I can do to improve myself as an athlete on that day, but going out and training um, on my own on an off day, maybe isn't the best. And I should just stay on the team schedule. So the best thing from the athletes, is they say we have ownership now and I know more about who I am so I can make better decisions. Instead of guessing on social media, I saw that this athlete was doing that and I have to do that. It's like, well, that that's specific to them. Right. But now I know what do I need and I can just make a better plan. And the one thing that all the athletes always say is I wish I would have had this when I was younger. I wish I would have had this when I was 13, 14 in the academy. 
And I, th- I think the same thing. Like, yeah, I wish I would have had it then, but I'm glad I have it now, which is valuable. And I've found that a lot of athletes, you know, GPS data running, they, they understand that that's almost public domain. Like, you know, you can see how fast someone's running. <laughs> like, generally, I haven't found too many athletes worried about that being shared. When you start getting to, like, the biometrics like heart rate, they start getting a little more guarded. Obviously, DNA becomes the, the, the greatest amount of vulnerability. And I'm sure there are protocols of not sharing it to management that makes contract decisions. But, like, even still, like, even within the coaching staff, like how receptive have they been? How much education does it take? What what are, what do the athletes think uh, yeah, at the start? Yeah, that, that always comes up. The good thing is there's a lot of laws protect, protecting genetic information. You know, each state has their own specific laws, California, Texas, you know, all the states in the U S but then there's also laws around the world that affect pe- people's genetics. Uh, the biggest thing we can say that separates us is we will never sell your data. There's been other genetic testing companies that have done that for a lot of money, and it hasn't been the greatest thing for them, unfortunately, but for us, for 3x4 Genetics, we will never save your data. The data is triple encrypted. We take that privacy really seriously. And so we make sure that when we talk with the athlete about what are their rights to genetic testing, when when they give the data, what happens there? You know, Sometimes we have the athletes asking, are you going to clone me? And some of them are kind of serious and we're like, no, like as soon as we do your swab and we get the, the results, we just throw that away. Of course, properly and we discard of it, but we have your, we information and we always tell them if you ever want us to just completely destroy our, the information off our, off our software, all you have to do is call us and tell us, or, you know, send us an email, whatever it might be. And we can give you confirmation that that's happened. And that usually calms them down a little bit, not to mention that you know, your genetic information can't be used against you in employment. So that gives them a little bit more just security around how that works out. Cause I thought the same thing. I don't want people really knowing about my exact DNA and what that means. But when you understand that you actually have a lot of rights around your genetics and it gives them a little bit of, you know, puts them at ease. Like, okay, I'm, I'm more interested in what we're doing now. And then once they get the blueprint from what I've seen, they've never looked back because they have so much information about themselves now that it's just, it's so powerful for them. Is there anything that sort of broadly with the, the genetic results that you've gotten or the correlations that you've, you've learned about anything that's totally you know blown your mind, whether it's you know completely contradicting everything you expected or maybe a strong validation of a hunch that you once had and anything that really stands out? Yeah. I mean, there's probably several things. In the beginning, I remember Tony telling me, you are an expert strength conditioning coach and you have made decisions based off the, the research that you've read and the practical findings you've had on a day-to-day basis with that professional athletes. But he said, there's going to be some stuff that's going to challenge you. So just be open to it. So the caffeine thing wasn't one that really challenged me, but it, it may, I said, oh, okay, that's interesting. Like instead of having a buzzer, which we would, the locker room at 30 minutes, everyone comes, takes their espresso shot or whatever it is, and they get their caffeine. That makes sense. But um, a few things that's probably more on the personal side, when I looked at things like salt intake and the fact that, you know, like I have a family history of high blood pressure, but for me personally, um, I'm not very sensitive to salt. And so I can't have a lot of salt. That's that's not really going to influence my blood pressure, which I know is a contradicting because most people are like, okay, if you have high blood pressure, like no more salt, that's just going to make it worse. And for some people that could be true, but for me, um, salt doesn't affect my blood pressure. That, that's completely okay. I would think one of the other ones that <clears throat> I thought was really powerful, and it's, it's, I think it's a tough one to swallow, but 
we have someone that we worked with that they were having incredible uh, migraines and headaches for a long, long time. It was a real issue for them and they weren't able to enjoy their life basically. And through doing the blueprint and talking to the practitioner, they said, uh, you know what, what we're seeing here is we think that uh, fermented foods actually is what's causing these headaches. You know, obviously I'm making this very, very simple, but there's a more complex way they talked about it. And so, um, this person had an Asian background. They said, well, that's a really important part of my culture. Like everyone eats that. There's just no way. They're like, why don't you just try it? And that person, since they stopped eating fermented foods has not had headaches or migraine for 23 months. And that, that for me, I was like, okay, wow. That, and that's a tough one because for me, I have a Mexican background and I'm like, okay, like tortillas and anything around that, you know, like cheese, that that's all, that's who I am as a person. And when I learned like, okay, it's not that I can't have that, but when I do have enchiladas or stuff like that, it's not going to, it's my genes aren't going to like that, right? Digestively, it's not going to help me out. I'm going to have a lot of inflammation. And if my goal is to run a half marathon or, or play footy on the weekend, I just have to think about the moments that I have those things. It doesn't mean I can't go to Italy and enjoy all the carbs I want, but it just means that I have to think, okay, how can I help my genes on the back end of that. Maybe I need to go to more of a low histamine diet when I come back. And so like I'm saying, it's more just um, things that might challenge you say, okay, the end goal is that I want to have this result. And I just have to know that I have to have the tools necessary. And if I don't know my genetics and I'll never have those tools by, by understanding that stuff, it's helped me to identify stuff there. And I'm telling you that cherry juice has changed my life. Cause now my kids are like, what is that blood you're drinking? I'm like, it's okay, guys. <laughs> It's just cherry juice, which they don't really like it too much. But yeah, there's been some eye-opening stuff from that standpoint. That's fascinating. Uh, I also have started uh, taking a liking to cherry juice as well. It's sweeping the nation. <laughs> yep, yep, for sure. Well, it sounds like I should be getting on the cherry juice. But before that, <laughs> I just wanted to ask a question on behalf of some of the coaches and practitioners who may be listening into this. And earlier in the conversation, Daniel, you described yourself as a good guesser when you're when you're working as a performance coach. Now, what does that mean exactly in high performance? How does that blend, say, art and science? It's something that I didn't want to admit before I knew the genetic stuff, but I started to realize um, even towards the end of my first decade as a pro strength coach was if I have an athlete, so practically, if I have an athlete who's saying, Hey, I've really had issues with my low back. I'm kind of nervous to do deadlifts right away. I can think, okay, there's a bunch of things that we shouldn't do, but there's things that we could do. You know, maybe I need to do some sort of, um, trunk stability exercise with them before we get into that position. So I can teach them what's the relationship of their pelvis and the rib cage and how can we prep them for the movements to come. And so the better that I get and the better that the coaches get what they think right away is, okay, I'm going to do a tall kneeling med ball chest pass because that'll translate when I'm talking about the pelvis and the rib cage, and I'm going to move them to a trap bar deadlift because that might help their center of mass a little bit more. And I'm going to elevate the trap bar deadlift by six to eight inches because by decreasing the range of motion, it's going to make them, it's going to put them in more beneficial positions to achieve that. And then at the end of the lift, when we're doing some sort of um, complementary movement, I might choose like an anti-rotation press. And I'm going to, so I, I think through all these things, and I have to think through them real quickly. And I can say, here's the things I shouldn't do with that athlete. Here's things that I can do as I want to get them to get more buy-in and engagement to the program. The other thing might be, um, you know, you said, what should you, should you do and should you not do? Um, I had the opportunity of consulting with a pro team recently 
And it always happens. Training ends. You see the training loads live on the iPad and the athletes say, hey, I want to do more. And they want to push. And I know from looking at the data, okay, you've done about 300 meters of high-speed running. We do not want any more. Like you have hit your threshold. That is it. But I don't want to go through the time telling the athlete, here's what you can and can't do. I just say, okay, here's a drill we're going to do. It's this many seconds from end line to end line with this much rest. Then we're going to finish with this movement over there. And we're going to repeat that for eight reps. And when you give athletes clarity and confidence, they don't question it. They do it. I've done it myself. So I know it, it is something that is more challenging. It's going to achieve the stuff we need, but it's also going to cut out the stuff we don't need. And so I have all these in my head. So when an athlete says, I don't like this, or I want more of this quickly, I can say, here's the eight things we shouldn't do, but here's two options we can go through. Brilliant. Great. Anything more from you, John? No, this is this has been fantastic, uh, very enlightening, uh, and uh, we very much appreciate all the all the insight and expertise here, Daniel. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. I'm mean, excited to share this with my community and see what the feedback is because I know the whole genetic discussion. It should be a very interesting one that um, should be new in the technology side, and it's just exciting to see you know where all the feedback comes in. So excited for that. Thanks for having me.